link, learn, and connect with some of the best, most articulate, and practical professionals in the field of speech-language pathology. Do you work with school-aged children? You're in the right place to gather new information and great ideas for you and your therapy kids. Are you joining the weekly live and interactive webinars offered by SpeechTherapyPD.com? Hope so. And here's a tip. Just in case you're a student or you know one, student accounts are free. For everyone else, you get $20 off our audio subscription. Just use the discount code LINK20, L-I-N-K-20. Enjoy. I've never done an entire podcast just on chewing, but it's about time that I did. It's often overlooked and underrated, but there's so much just to the act of chewing, the developmental progression of chewing, as well as chewing's influence on swallowing and speaking, and oral hard tissue and soft tissue health, of all things. I now wonder why I haven't given it more attention. My interest is sparked, and I think yours will be too, when you hear my guest, a true expert. So grab your note-taking device. (laughs) You're going to need it. Here we go. Let us get started. But before we do get started, I would like to mention disclosures. Regarding financial disclosures, Lita does receive an honorarium for this podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I also receive an honorarium for the speech link, and I am a presenter for SpeechTherapyPD.com and receive royalty payments. And I also own Speech Dynamics. Regarding non-financial disclosures, Lita is an advisor for the Academy of Oral Myofunctional Therapy, AOMT, and the Academy of Applied Myofunctional Sciences, AAMS, and I have no financial disclosures to report. So there we have it. So welcome, everybody, to our live SpeechLink podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. And a very personal welcome to the underestimated power of chewing. And you are going to be amazed at all the practical connections that we're going to make. And you are totally more than welcome to participate. Just type your question or comment into the chat, and I'll read it, and Leisha will respond. Okay. I am Shar Boshart, your speech language pathologist host for the speech link. And I'm really, really looking forward to learning from and interacting with Leecha. She has an amazing depth and breadth of insightful information. Leecha Cochiani Pasquet, MS, CCC, SLP, is a speech language pathologist with over 20 years experience in myofunctional therapy. She began her career as a dental hygienist in the 1990s in Italy, where her interest in oral facial myology was ignited. And I do hope that we can learn more about that toward the end of our time. Licia graduated from Padua University in Italy in speech therapy then moved to America and earned her BA in gerontology. And I believe that's the study of aging. And she earned that from the Antioch University in Los Angeles. And her master's in communication disorders and sciences from Cal State Northridge. And it's safe to say that she's an expert. I'm going to call her an expert. I think of her an expert on oral functions. And she is qualified in sleep disorders as well, and has completed a residency in oral facial pain. She loves to learn. She lives in Los Angeles. Is that true? (laughs) Totally. Yes, absolutely. She lives in Los Angeles and enjoys doing therapy, where she treats patients of all ages, with those from myofunctional disorders to dysphagia and more. 
She is a presenter and advisor for the Academy of Oral Facial Myofunctional Therapy, AOMT, and an advisor for the Academy of Applied Myofunctional Sciences, AAMS, and she is a past president and former board member of the International Association of Oral Facial Myology, the IAOM. And I should also mention that I'm pretty sure that she does seminars independently. In addition, she has authored and co-authored several peer-reviewed articles and chapters and co-authored the five-star book on Amazon, New Trends in Myofunctional Therapy, Occlusion, Muscles, and Posture. Personally, talk with anyone in the field and they will say that Leecha knows her stuff and that she's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And I totally agree. So I'm very excited that you're here and welcome to the speech link, Licha. Thank you so much. You're raising people's expectations. I don't know if I can meet those expectations, but <laughs> yes. You oh, so you much. are so welcome. You deserve all of that and more, girl. You know, you and I, I think we've had some parallel experiences and travels and interactions and, you know, discoveries of information through the years. And, you know, it's just going to be really fun to just talk with you and just, you know, learn all sorts of information from you. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Okay, let's jump in here. We've got an hour, a little bit less than an hour, actually. Okay. And, you know, we're talking about chewing and we're all familiar with chewing. But, you know, there is a lot to the act of chewing, as well as the developmental foundations that it helps to lay for other oral functions like swallowing and like speaking and, you know, and learning what the connections are and why we need to know about chewing and also what we can just do in regards to chewing disorders. And I do want to get into much of that, okay, as we go through. But I also know to begin with... I know that you have created this very practical, I guess it's more of a triangle or a pyramid that really provides perspective information on some of these categories. And maybe that might be a nice place for you to start and lay our foundation. Does that work? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Yes. All absolutely. right. Thank you so Sounds much. Good. So first of all, thank you for inviting me and thank you for, you know, thank you. and thank you to everybody who's going to enjoy this podcast. And yes, I'm very passionate about chewing, which I think it's really an underestimated function in the body, especially, I'm sorry to say it's underestimated by many speech pathologists, but it's not their fault is because it was never really taught in school. And shock of shocks, among all the ICD-10 codes, chewing doesn't really exist. It's only feeding difficulties. And only three times it's suggested, you know, that you can use those codes. So it doesn't come on the radar of a lot of therapists just because there is no... Uh, almost like official definition of chewing. And yet, mm -hmm. as you said, it's just so important. And I'm going to ask you some questions. I know they're rhetorical, but it's just to make you think about, okay? Mm -hmm. How long can you stay without talking? Think about it. Mm. How long can you stay without chewing? Well, I, I could probably not talk for a while. <laughs> okay. Think, think about but, I mean, I, I don't they have never, to talk. Yeah, I don't talk. have to talk to live right. necessarily. Correct. Correct. Okay. And if you think about chewing, you know, you can be for years just eating liquid food. Okay. Mm -hmm. Swallowing, mm -hmm. mm, you know, you have to have some kind of swallow. 
And think about it, never before in, in the history of humans, we were able to bypass the mouth and direct the food directly in the stomach or in the intestine. So in the past, if you were not able to swallow briefly within a few days, you would die. Okay. But think right. about how long can you stay without breathing? Not long. Not long. Three or four minutes. So you have to think about the functions of the body exactly in this order, with breathing being at the base of a huge pyramid of physiological needs. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, there is swallowing, of course. And on top of that, there is chewing, because chewing does a lot of things that I'm going to tell you about. And on the very top, there is speech. So it's important to take care of speech, but think in perspective, okay? And also, I want you to stay with the image of the triangle. And I'm going to give you a different perspective just to make you understand why chewing is such a powerful function in humans and in animals as well. Okay, think about the triangle. Mm -hmm. How long are usually babies breastfed, if they're breastfed at all? few months. Exactly. Maybe a year if you're lucky. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. How long are babies then weaned from milk to regular food? How long mm. does it take? Mm. About a year, it right? Just yeah. Mm. Yeah. About a year. I right. mean, it, you know, it depends on the capability of the child, but yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about, let's say, normal children, children with the normal development. Okay. And of course, you know, okay. children with special needs are something a bit different. But yes. so you have one year maximum breastfeeding, one year maximum or about a year weaning. Then you have 99 years or 105 years of chewing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in adults, swallowing is, is most of the time is a function of chewing. Yes, you have swallowing of saliva, which is, you know, that's what we need. Then you have swallowing of liquid. But most of the time, the active swallow is after chewing. We, mm -hmm. For us, swallowing is a function of chewing. So think about this function that we are going to do for the rest of our life. However, the mechanics of chewing, the neuromuscular sensory integration happens mm -hmm. between zero and two years. Okay. Especially it starts with zero, it starts with breastfeeding with the sucking and the coordination of nasal breathing and swallowing, etc., etc., mm -hmm. And there are so many studies done, especially on animals, because, you know, animal models, it's what goes in science, that show that in animals that have been prevented from breastfeeding or they had their weaning changed too early, too late, or not jumping directly to solid food, mm -hmm. all these missed transitions affected adult chewing. And we know in children mm. as well, we know children that have hard time manipulating food as babies or during weaning, Yes. or if they're used to one consistency only, it's only, you know, blended food, then they have hard time adapting to other types of textures. And mm -hmm. also think about in other cultures where they don't have the luxury of giving babies pureed food, it's like milk, and then it is whatever it's, it's around. And so yes. by exposing the baby soon enough to different textures, different things, food versus non-food, 
they learn to manipulate things in their mouth. And this is mm-hmm. what is missing right now. And one of the elements that is missing is chewing. Because chewing involves salivation, involves understanding what you have in your mouth, involves swallowing the juice first and then, you know, comminute, as they say, which means grinding the food a little bit more and then swallow it again and then grind the last part until it's completely gone and swallow it. In the Western culture, because of the changes of food, we kind of bypass chewing as if it takes too long. I have to go to work. I only have five minutes. You know, it's like we really bypass that. But we are bypassing that at our own peril. And we see that in the offices of orthodontists that are full of children. How did that happen? You know, mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. before in history we had so many children that needed to have orthodontic treatment. And part of mm-hmm. it is because since they are babies, we are choosing for them foods that are really easy to chew. And it's, it's a culture. You know, you go to the supermarket, you buy lettuce, iceberg lettuce. It doesn't require a lot of chewing, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you look at the between, say, carrots and potato chips, children go for potato chips any day <laughs> sure. because... They don't require chewing. You can actually soak them up in your mouth and just swallow them. A carrot, sure. I'm sorry, <laughs> takes so a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, a lot longer. Yes, so yes. I, I hope I'm kind of conveying the concept that chewing is really something that we are not familiar, therefore we are not addressing properly, and yet has a huge impact. Okay? Yes, yes. Now, you mentioned the sensory motor piece for two years And everything that you said makes so much sense to me. Where does the mouthing piece come in? Because I I see with mouthing, that's an opportunity to provide a variety of forms of sensation for the jaw to move and the tongue to interact and the lips to compress. And, you know, a lot of those oral skills that are being done, but you're not manipulating anything and then you don't have to swallow it. It's just pure introductory, you know, oral manipulation, and it's fun, and it's all about discovery. Are you sort of thinking about that during this time as well? I mean, is that a kind of a precursor or something that's important for the person to do, the little baby to do? Yes, that would, that should start with their own hands, actually. Mm -hmm. But again, Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert in babies. Although, you know, I'm familiar with different cultures and how they raise babies and the concept, for instance, of teething, which happens pretty soon in in a baby's life. And here we tend to give them those silicone rings that they can chew on or something. In other cultures, I heck no. (laughs) No? They're going to give them stale bread. They're going to give them pieces of meat or dry fruit, Ah. whatever. Productive. Correct. Productive. Exactly. So that the moment in which the baby instinctively brings something to the mouth, it should be food so that they can start getting used to it. Even if it's Mm -hmm. a a lemon peel, it doesn't, for the baby, it does not matter. (laughs) Mm-hmm. They like it anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay, all right. That makes a whole lot of sense to 
in our, yeah, and I think it is cultural. Right. And I mean, you know, breastfeeding is cultural. Right. You know, I I know that there are some cultures they're still breastfeeding at three and four years of age. And, and you know, some people are providing, you know, chewing early on and others are providing chewing later. And But what you're saying is that they are providing food early on for them to manipulate. Correct. It's actually... And, and to learn from, not just here, eat this. Right, right. Okay. Right. Okay, it, interesting. It has a reason for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of epigenetics. Epigenetics is basically on top of what your genetic makeup is. So in theory, we are genetically perfect, except that then something happens either internally or externally that makes our genes manifest in a different way. So in terms, why is chewing important and why should happen very soon in life? Because epigenetics says since the bone communicates or receives information from the soft tissue, in this case, if we talk about the mandible and maxilla, we are talking about all the chewing muscles. So the more we use the chewing muscles, the more these muscles through the other layers of soft tissue are going to inform the bone grow strong because we're just going to pound that meat or we're going to pound that nut to smithereens. <laughs> if chewing doesn't happen, then the soft tissue are going to tell the bones, eh, we, you don't really need to grow. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much skeletal malocclusion. The skeletal malocclusion is guided, you know, they say, well, it's genetic because it runs in the family. Maybe not. Sometimes habits run in the family. So, you know, mom likes to have soft food or fast food. And so that's what she's going to give to the child. And the child is going to learn to eat something that doesn't require chewing. And so, and these are principles of epigenetics that are important. A few years ago, I discovered four articles by Melvin Moss. He was a dentist, but also a biologist. And he wrote these beautiful four articles all about the theory of the functional matrix, in which he was explaining in excruciating details how and why is the soft tissues that are guiding the growth and development of the bones. And we are talking about all the bones, not just the mandible, but the maxilla and the TMJ, etc., etc. And that also explains, and if you look at that, explains why people who have, for instance, severe developmental issues or diseases like Professor Hawkins, if you remember, he had a neuromuscular disease and he was wasting away. And after a while, the entire face, the entire body was completely contorted. Why? Because the soft tissue was not functioning properly. And that in turn affected the development or the evolution of his mandible and his maxilla, etc. So we have to hmm. think about that if we encourage children to chew as soon as possible, we are doing a service because we are designed by nature to actually utilize chewing as a, as a rhythmical force 
that helps our bone grow stronger, our TMJ be more functional. In pounding the food, we are allowing more salivation. The saliva has antibody. If we pound, if we comminute the food properly, we are favoring a better absorption of nutrients in the guts. We are triggering less sensitivity reactions. I mean, and we maintain a good occlusion. We promote good occlusion. If we have an orthodontic treatment, we stabilize that. If we are, I don't know, if we are suffering from obesity, we can keep our weight down. I mean, there are so many good things that come with chewing. That's why I'm just so passionate that it should start as soon as possible. <laughs> food, yes, yes. food, real food. Wow, yes. Just makes me want to go chew something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering here about munching and, you know, just the levels that are supposed to occur in that process leading to adult chewing. You know, and I'm thinking about that as far as ending up being a good chewer, you know, which hopefully ends up being a good swallower. But also I'm wondering about this chewing piece and its influence on speech development and, you know, the whole differentiation process of what happens. Did I give you too much there yeah, to chew no, on? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Take I'm us through some of that. <laughs> Just chew on the fat here. Okay. okay. Yes. All right. I'm aware that there are some specialists who say, well, there is chewing has nothing to do with speech or there are completely different functions. It's true I've there are that. different functions. But mm -hmm. let's not forget, we are using the same nervous system and the same hard and soft tissues, the same systems work together. So for mm -hmm. speech, as much as for swallow, we need coordination of breathing. We need a proper movement of the jaw. We need a proper, not just placement of the tongue. We need the tongue to be, for instance, nimble and fast. To end speech and, and chewing happen in a prolonged period of time. If I say, yes, that's very quick. It's as quick as a swallow. Mm -hmm. But if I'm actually chewing, it's like having a conversation, okay? So, yes. as I said before, if we look at the pyramid of physiological needs, if you haven't achieved a proper chewing mechanism, so the coordination of all these systems, um, the tongue might not be in the proper place or might not be using the muscles properly for speech. It's true that there are differences between the intrinsic and the extrinsic muscles, speech versus swallowing. It's true that they have a different speed. It's true that they're regulated by different parts of the brain. That's all true. But it's still the same body, and we are still talking about coordinating breathing and everything else in the mouth. So, yes, a, a child can... I'm not even sure if a child who has speech issues has a very good chewing. I don't know. Again, I don't work necessarily with children. I work mostly with adults. And I oh. see the impact okay. that lack of chewing has within a lifetime. Okay? I see them all the way to the nursing home. And I see what hmm. that does to them. Okay? Hmm. So, Like what? Give me a for instance. Now, you're talking about dysphagia, and you're looking at the oral stage. For children or for adults? No, for the adults that you work with. Okay. 
For adults, I take care of people who have, for instance, orofacial pain, mostly women, unfortunately. And that goes hand in hand because it's the same mechanism or lack of, for instance, eating only soft food doesn't allow the proper function of the muscles. And over time, they do, along with other issues, they, they do develop pain. And uh, restoring proper chewing and eliminating some or taking care of some compensatory behavior actually help these people reducing the load of pain. Are you talking um, more temporomandibular joint pain or what other kinds of pain are you? Right. That's what is referred to as TMJ pain, but it's not actually TMJ pain. It's more diffuse. It's more like neurological and muscular pain. Mm-hmm. So, and that has a, a direct consequence of changes in chewing. Also, people who don't chew enough, as I said before, they don't use enough saliva. Therefore, they have problems with the digestive system because the mouth is on top of the esophagus, which is the beginning of the enteric nervous system, which is a system on its own. Okay. Only and, what? Hmm? It's a system only. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that one. Sorry. The enteric system, it's a neurological system that has as many neurons as your spinal cord. And it's completely independent and regulates the food, the absorption of nutrients, but also the coordination with breathing and, and heartbeat. I mean, it's really, really complex. Okay. Okay. I'm saying that because... Again, when we work with adults, they have issues. One of them is stomach issues or digestive issues. So by promoting better chewing, better salivation, we can help them out. In the elderly, sometimes they don't have dentures or they have dentures and they are stable. Or even if they have their natural teeth, they're not used to hard food maybe. And so it's, it's important that they actually analyze while they are chewing what they have in their mouth to prevent choking because their entire sensory system, as they get older and sicker in a sense, their sensory system is less able to process quickly information in their mouth. So it's important that they learn to chew carefully to analyze what they have in their mouth so they can get rid of those little chicken bones or fish bones or fragments of nutshells or whatever. Right, okay. That can actually sure. cause a risk. Same thing for young children. Sure. Chewing seems to be directly related to choking episodes. And let's not forget that choking death, actually choking is the fourth uh, leading cause of accidental deaths in the United States. Really? So, yeah. I didn't know that. Right. Oh, and so, yeah. That's not good. <laughs> exactly. Wow. But if you analyze how that happens, most of the time is because, I mean, I'm talking about accidental, not in... Right. Not other, you know, not uh, choking as in, uh, I'm just going to choke you. Right. But, you yeah, know, we're not food, talking this. We're talking no, this. No. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So the very young and the very old and interesting, very young adults, like in their 20s, tend to choke on food more for different reasons. Babies, because they're not used to mm, examining things with their mouths, because they're used to eat only you know, very uniform food. 
the elderly, because their sensory system is kind of getting less and less accurate. Mm -hmm. And in young people, because they're impulsive and, you know, they choke with hot dogs. (laughs) They are choking with, uh, you know, hard candies or whatever. So chewing enters in this arena as well of preventing choking episodes. Okay, so if we could, let's go back. You were talking about young ones Mm -hmm. that kind of, and and again, it's that cultural thing that kind of require that systematic sort of transitional piece because you just mentioned that they need that sort of introductory sensory piece to transition them to hard food, to to food that you have to chew. Correct. And, you know, and I kind of see mouthing and all of that sort of going along with that exposure and the manipulation and so on. But, you know, as speech-language pathologists, what do we say to the parent that is raising, you know, their child during that first year? You know, what do we say to that parent, you know, to encourage them to make sure that that transition happens so that they move into chewing and have the you know the requisite capabilities in order to continue to advance their development for chewing and the hard tissue soft tissue and then moving into speech because it really sounds like what you're saying is that this is foundational right and by studying or by reading articles from anthropologists and from Darwinian dentists, which are dentists and doctors, also medical doctors, who look at the evolution of human beings and they recognize that we are going too far away from the ancestral way of doing things. And one of those ancestral ways was to introduce food to children, when they extend their hand and they want to grab something, they better be grabbing some food. And don't worry, they're not going to be fat. I mean, yes, if you're giving them a, I don't know, a piece of candy or whatever, of course, you know, 10 of them or, or potato chips, they will develop this addiction to sugar, salt and fat. But if you give them fruit or vegetables or even pieces of meat, a large piece of meat, not tiny, tiny, otherwise they're going to choke with it, mm-hmm. then they're going to develop, they're going to use the instinct of putting things in their mouth at the same you know mouthing and at the same time they're gonna experience and they're gonna prepare themselves from correct function down the line which is correct chewing correct chewing of anything they put in their mouth Mm -hmm. so we parents need to be aware of the process of chewing and the food that we are giving our kids Correct. So that uh, they complement one another. Not just, I'm going to feed them because it's dinner time. (laughs) Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's okay to give kids, I mean, time meaning which they eat. And I'm the first one to say, I don't think it's okay to give them, may I say Cheerios or (laughs) uh, cereals (laughs) when they walk. You know, I I see these kids and they're out and uh, they're eating. They have their baggies. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Sure. But yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but those cereals are really, you know, you put them in your mouth and you don't really need to chew them at all. If you wait 10 seconds, they're 
been soaked with saliva and then you can swallow them. Mm-hmm. You should give them something more consistent, okay? Mm-hmm. And I really like the concept of baby-led weaning, which was kind of put together by an Australian researcher. Her name is Jill Rapley. And this concept is based on what the anthropologists have been saying and seeing for decades, which is it's okay to give children nutritious food, but we have to take a step back and look how do humans evolved by eating regular food as soon as possible and by chewing the heck out of it. And that's the part that is missing. And mm-hmm. I understand as we then become adults, it's like, I have five minutes. I can't really eat that apple. I'm going to have an apple sauce instead. Okay. Okay. So that can be an emergency situation. It shouldn't be the norm. That's the concept because we're going to pay for it. If we are allowing children to eat only soft food, then you have to put money aside for an orthodontist or orthodontist because they will need a treatment. And the reason is because, again, it's the soft tissue that drives the heart tissue growth and development. And so we see that children who are not chewing properly or for whatever reason they're, you know, not chewing hard food, then they, what do you know? They develop malocclusions. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, and, I, and I'm asking, how does that happen? I'm with you as far as they aren't applying the chewing and the pressure and maybe the pace, you know, slowing down a bit and enjoying the food and all of those kinds of things, and that makes sense to me. But when you don't, what is happening? So, okay, the bone is not developing like it should, apparently, but what's happening with the soft tissue? Okay, so here is the thing. And how is it influencing dentition? Perfect question. Okay, so two steps back. One is the concept of neuroplasticity. That's why you have to start on day one, okay, with proper breastfeeding and then weaning, etc., etc. Because the first couple of years are the most important for the neuroplastic development of our oral functions. So let's say that you have a baby who... For whatever reason, I'm not putting blame. I'm just saying how things are seen from, in a sense, an anthropological perspective or a dental perspective. Okay. So the baby eats only food that has been blended because you're afraid it's going to choke, whatever. So the baby, from a neuroplastic point of view, is thinking, okay, then it's only safe if I eat food that is, you know, blended. At this point, as you know, the swallowing is going to change because you don't need to use a lot of saliva to form a bolus. You don't need force applied because you're just going to manipulate that bolus and then swallow it. Therefore, your teeth are going to lose the ability to withstand uh, force. And the entire oral motor sensory system in the mouth is going to be different. Because your chewing requires, again, coordination with your breathing, opening and closing of your, of your jaw, making sure that your tongue restricts and expands depending on where the food is and your cheeks 
tensing up and relaxing, allowing the food to move back and forth. And your teeth are, in a sense, from a sensory point of view, learn to withstand maximum pressure. If you take that away, then you're going to have children who have very sensitive teeth that they don't want to eat anything that is hard. And then it kind of, again, it's a neuroplastic thing, okay? The mouth never learns to deal with hard food or food that is complicated, like a cherry that has a pit. You have to eat the cherry and spit the pit or (laughs) whatever the food. Sure, sure. Or if you eat fish, I know United States fish is most of the time is without the bones. Yeah. Filleted. Like filleted. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, like, we're uh, spoiled. like uh, yeah. fish sticks. Okay. Oh gosh. Well, <laughs> yeah. Go anywhere else in the world and children eat fish and they have to learn to manipulate and extract manually mm-hmm. any small fragment of fish. Hmm. I'm telling you, it's not happening here. Mm-hmm. Even with adults, they're not used to manipulate food that has intrusions, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a process that is so important. And that's why you have to start early for that neuroplastic benefit that chewing gives to the body. And let me tell you one more thing. There are many studies done on mice, of course, poor mice, but also on people on the importance of chewing and biting and clenching, which are kind of three related functions, you know, as mood stabilizer. For instance, if you need focus, you know, if you want to have a kid focusing on homework, make sure that they, uh, they're not dehydrated so that they drink properly because dehydration, as you know, causes cognitive issues. But also chewing something and chewing gum has been shown in hundreds and hundreds of peer review studies to, it's called the sham chewing, to have a lot of benefits. And among other benefits is to keep focus, is to release dynorphins, which is a type of endorphin, which is keeping us calm and collect. Or if we are too calm and we need a boost of energy, that's what it does. That's why it's Chewing is a mood stabilizer. It doesn't calm you down or excites you. There are also connections with the heart rate variability, for instance, which is a physiological way for for our body to be healthy or not healthy. Heart rate variability is supposed to be very variable when we are healthy and very stable when we are unhealthy. And so chewing being stressful, the moment in which you you chew actually causes this change in heart rate variability, but then it's followed by, ah, okay, I ate, now I'm fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, it's the the, uh, rest and digest system. So, there are a lot of physiological implications at a level of neurotransmitters, at a level of, in a sense, gastric juices and and this enteric autonomous system. They're very, very important for our body. Okay. Well, Dicha, we do have a couple of questions. All right. Can I pop the questions here? Sure. Okay. This is from Beth. And Beth says, Ms. Pasquet, could you please advise at what age an adult-like rotary chew will emerge in children. 
Hmm, that's a good question. The straight answer is I don't know because I don't look at chewing from a rotary perspective or up and down perspective. I look at chewing from the point of view of efficiency and this is how I do it, okay? Mm-hmm. I ask a child to, I have different foods. I ask them to take one bite to chew it and then spit it out before they swallow. Of course, if they're like three years old, you might need a few tryouts, but that's a concept. You make them spit and you look the efficiency of their chewing. If the food is barely chewed or is not salivated, then it's not okay. They have to continue chewing it because eventually regardless, you want to have in your mouth a bolus that is well soaked with saliva. That's what makes it easy to swallow. So I look at a child not from a mechanicistic point of view, like uh, or open up and up. It's like, I want to see, is the child able to actually comminute the food properly, salivate it properly? And the only way I can see it by spitting it out. And trust me, kids love doing that. <laughs> and you can actually teach them. Okay, so this is the way you see how dry is the food. Okay, tr- let's try again. This time, keep it a little bit more. Let the saliva soak it up. I use those little condiment cups, you know, the clear ones that have a lid because I can make the kids or the adults spit in those cups and just put the lid and dispose of them. Mm-hmm. But when I do home assessment, I make them spit on a little plate anyway, you know, because when we eat anyway, there is saliva involved with it. So, but it's a very powerful system to detect the efficiency of chewing. That's mm-hmm. my answer. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We have another question here from Aaron. Aaron says, I once saw something online that said chewing hard items results in better jaw and teeth alignment. They said that skills from the past appeared to have better teeth and jaw structure, that's what you're saying, than modern humans. I believe they were trying to educate the public about myofunctional therapy. Right. And that's probably the person that is asking the question. So maybe some videos regarding what I said, uh, Darwinian dentistry or, or evolutionary medicine, in which they look at these skulls. And I did a study on my own with skulls that we found under the kitchen floor that I renovated in Italy a few years ago. And those are all skeletons from the Middle Ages, from the 1400 all the way to the 1600. Perfect teeth, perfect jaws, you know, small heads, but perfect teeth. Only one actually had a cavity of all the skulls that we found. And we know that as humans started to become an agricultural or an agrarian society, you would see more and more cavities because of the quality of the food that they were eating and the carbohydrates and blah, blah, blah. It's only actually with the advent of the Industrial Revolution and especially the industrialization of food that we see not just cavities, but the food is much easier to consume, much easier to eat. And most of the time doesn't need any chewing 
Therefore, mm-hmm. now we see skeletal malocclusion. Now we see tiny mandibles. They come along with sleep disorders, the uh, deviated nasal septum, collapsed maxilla. There are a lot of issues. I know you were asking, Shar, what are the consequences of not chewing? I'm telling you, <laughs> there's a, a host of them, okay? Among mm-hmm. them is if you are not chewing in a sense, from day one when you can, which is not sooner than six months of age, then you're going to see all these skeletal changes in the mouth, okay, that then affect speech. They affect, as I said, sleep disorders, which are then related to learning and behavior in children. And there are plenty of studies that you can actually find. And I'm more than happy to send you any study you want on these amazing connections, okay? So that's why I'm so passionate about it. (laughs) Yes, makes total sense. Well, Beth did respond, and so did Erin here, but let me read Beth's two comments here, and it's in response to your previous answer to Beth. And Beth says, this is a wonderful idea, having kids chew and spit out. I work with preschool children, and I'm observing a strong correlation between poor chewing skills and poor speech development. And then her other question is, would a child who only eats soft foods have underdeveloped cheek muscles? Correct. And again, things go together. The child that has underdeveloped cheeks, probably I'm just venturing to say, either didn't have any breastfeeding or the breastfeeding was very quick. And breastfeeding actually positively affects the cheek muscles, in particular the, what they're called. So, yes. Buckle? Hmm? The buckle muscles? No? The vaccinator. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, okay. (laughs) The vaccinator. Got it, got it. So that's what I, I think it is. But again, if you pay attention to yourself, Put anything in your mouth and start chewing and pay attention to what your your cheeks are doing, what your lips are doing, what your tongue is doing. And the amazing coordination between all these structures, is there any surprise that if you are feeding or, you know, it's not that mothers are feeding the wrong thing. There are a lot of things uh, upstream, for instance. Is the kid able to breathe nasally? Because if you cannot breathe nasally, forget it. You cannot chew. Because if you have to choose between breathing and chewing, I'm telling you, breathing always comes first. And you can see children. I cannot tell you the children that I observe that they have problems with nasal breathing uh, daytime and or nighttime. And when they chew, they're very fast and they have to breathe. They make a lot of smacking sounds. And I used to think, how rude. And now I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? This kid or this adult cannot breathe. And so you start noticing these things. And we go back to the base of the triangle of physiological needs. And I'm asking you, do you think a child that cannot breathe nasally properly is able to produce speech sounds correctly? I doubt it, because if you cannot breathe nasally, then you have a lot of other compensatory 
situation like you have to push your tongue low and forward in order to create more space in the back because maybe the tonsils are hypertrophic, whatever, whatever. So the same problems that are causing or the same conditions that are causing poor chewing are also causing poor speech because the tongue is not in the right position as a starting point, is is not able to find a starting position against the palate. Sure, so sure. It, well, it, and you have to be stable. able to close your lips in order to Absolutely. elevate your tongue and generate that lingual palatal contact. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you can. Mm-hmm. You can sit there, and I guess you can try and breathe around the sides of your tongue, but that's kind of an no, impossible... It's, it's not happening. It, it's, it's not no, happening. No, it's too effortful. Yeah, yeah. So lip closure is kind of the, the first lip closure to encourage nasal breathing, to encourage tongue positioning, to get your, you know, your lateral bracing for your speech stabilization, to enable the front part of the tongue to move in a coordinated right. way, and, and so on and so on. So yes, right. it's all so... You know, it's all just a coordinated, connected effort. Exactly. Yes. And And, and if I may add something. Sure, please. Because of these connectivities between functions, that's why children need to be treated in a multidisciplinary fashion. Because sometimes you have maybe a speech problem and because they're not breathing nasally, and the first thing they might need is maybe a palatal expansion that provides more space in the nose that allows them to breathe better. Therefore, the tongue is free to be against the palate, to brace itself like Pamela Mashala (laughs) illustrated many, many years ago. Yes. And allows you to have a good position for the tongue and then have good speech. At the same time, you expand the palate. Therefore, you can breathe better. Therefore, you can chew better have more saliva, swallow better, and grow healthier. Yes. Yes. Amen to that. Yes. Thank you. You know, Aaron gave us a kind of a little interesting thing to think about. Aaron said, someone called the softening of our diets, the olive gardenization of our food. (laughs) I actually love olive garden. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I do. I like Olive Garden. I like their food. But I was sitting here and I and I looked at at Aaron's contribution there and I'm thinking, you know, there really aren't too many. Kristen, you're Italian, Licha. Right. I mean, are there that many things that require heavy duty chewing? I mean, and maybe it's not being addressed at the Olive Garden. I don't know. But, you know, and, and no, it's right now it's all over the world because, mm. again, the industrialization of food allows us to eat better food, safer food, allows us to eat faster. But very few cultures now are cooking less or, or boiling less or chopping less. It's really a worldwide change. Mm. And I'll tell you something more. Just before COVID hit, There was a company in California, I'm not mentioning names, but had a giant billboards here in Los Angeles selling food that was in liquid form. And it was saying, now you can drink your vegetables or you can drink your, your meal. Like that's, and it was actually targeted for young kids, you know, um, young 
adults who are just driven in their work or technology, they don't have time to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to be on the computer all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, and I thought that, that that message was horrible because it's telling people, you don't really need to chew at all. Mm-hmm. You can have your entire meal, you know, just suck it. Yeah. That doesn't do it, you know. It, it maybe it's something that you can do once in a while. I have a deadline. Uh, it happens tonight. I don't really have time to go and eat. Fine, you can do that. But as a lifestyle change, wow, watch out mm. because you're gonna pay for it down the road. And yes. especially, you know, I I'm totally against these pouches that children drink all the time. I'm sorry. Again, if it's once in a while, that's fine. If it's, you know, on the road or something special to look forward, it's fine. But to include these textures in a daily life of children, you are doing a disservice. Mm -hmm. Give them a nice piece of dry mango or whatever. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, well, anyway, very interesting, very informative. Yes. Now, our time has really slipped away. But I really do. if, If I could just talk with you, just if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, when you were a dental hygienist, and how you transitioned from that field into speech pathology slash oral facial myology, maybe just a minute or two. Can you condense it down to that? That would be so interesting. So yes, I was working as a dental hygienist and I was working for an orthodontist and we were thinking about how can we help children speeding up the process of orthodontist. Someone said, hey, there is such a thing as myofunctional therapy. So I got interested in myofunctional therapy, but being a dental hygienist, I kind of hit the glass ceiling. So I decided, "Uh I'm just going to change my career. I'm just going to study speech pathology. There was a course in myofunctional therapy at the Padua University. So that's what I did. And the rest is history. Nice. (laughs) Thanks thanks to myofunctional therapy. Wow. There was a course there. Wow. I don't think we have one of those over here, but I think we're working on it. <laughs> I think so. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you made that move. And I'm sure yeah, that you have too. a lot of clients and people that have attended your seminars and so on that are very glad as well. So but you, I just I want to thank you so much, Licha, for sharing your amazing, amazing, knowledgeable experience. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank, and thank you. you. Thank you, Shah. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. And thank you to those of you that participated. We appreciate you. And I want to thank everyone here for being here and for tuning in and for continuing to get the word out about the SpeechLink podcast, where you not only learn practical information, as you know, you earn CEUs. And also in a few days, probably like a week or so, you will be able to access this audio course once again through SpeechTherapyPD.com, where you earn 1.1 ASHA CEUs. And you know, it's less than a week, but you'll also be able to access this episode on all of the popular podcast apps like Apple Podcast and TuneIn and Podbean, etc. And I greatly appreciate your positive, supportive comments there and your reviews. Thank you. Thank you. And to plan ahead on the speech link, Dr. Holly Storkel will share her vast and practical knowledge on working with speech sound disorders. And that date will be Thursday, May 5th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And as we wrap up, 
as you know what to do. Just log into your speechtherapypd.com account, take the quiz, do the evaluation, and print out your certificate. So I do hope that you know just how much you are appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do for your therapy kids. See you next time. Bye-bye. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the easy R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to speechdynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be a part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to speechtherapypd.com. And for everything else, visit sharpochart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time. Bye.